Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. John Schmunk, Paul Dottino. The phone number for you, 201-939-4513 or hashtag GiantsChat on Twitter. If you want to participate that way, you can. A lot going on in the National Football League today. It's draft day part two. It's the supplemental draft. Uh, One o'clock is when we're going to get the... Um, the bids put in for these players, and we'll explain to you how that works. We have John Ledyard from uh, the Draft Network coming on in just a couple of minutes, and he'll talk about that um, with us. Paulie Dots, how are you? Hey, Dave, can you unmute uh, mute Paul's mic? As much as I would love to have his mic <laughs> muted the whole show, it would be wonderful for me. I think the fans might want to hear him a little bit. I'm not sure. There you go. <laughs> uh, good to see you, John. Uh, very excited about uh, what we've got on tap today between talking about the supplemental draft and the Carolina Panthers, who, by the yes. way, are certainly one of the more intriguing teams the Giants have on the schedule this year. They really are. Jordan Rodriguez from the Charlotte Observer covers them for that paper. will be joining us at 1230. All right, before we get to John, real quick on how the supplemental draft works. This is really, if you've been in like an email-based fantasy draft, it's kind of how it works. Everybody kind of sends an email to the league and saying, I'm willing to bid a second-round pick on this guy, a third-round pick on this guy, a fourth-round pick on this guy, and the teams are, are put into groups based on record from the year before and the teams with the worst record to get priority over the teams with the better record. And whichever team puts the highest bid on that particular player, they will lose their draft pick uh, in the 2019 NFL yes. draft, um, and they will select that player now. So if you think a player is, is legitimately worth the round in which they're selected, um, you get them a year ahead, which obviously a lot of teams would like to do. The Giants have used a supplemental draft uh, in the past. If you really go back in time, I believe, wasn't Gary Zimmerman, the offensive lineman from the Broncos, a supplemental no, draft pick? He was a USFL. To, but then he went to the USFL. He was a USFL uh Dissolve pick. That's what it was. I'm sorry. I knew. Well, the, I, I knew it was a special circumstance. Yeah, the USFL dissolved, and the NFL right. said we're going to have a special draft for those players. Zimmerman was that guy. Dave Brown was a supplemental. That was the next guy. Tito Wooten was yep. a supplemental. And so what? Neither one turned out. Why didn't Zimmerman wind up with the Giants? They traded him. Oh, it was a trade. They trade. They traded his rights. Uh, that was what, like eighty-seven, eighty-eight, something like that. Oh, no. It was, uh, I want to say 85. Well, let's see. The USFL was 83, 84, and 85. So it must have been the 85. And we did not play in the 86 season. That's when the, the you know Trump mm-hmm. had pushed the whole antitrust thing, and they folded. Okay. So they played 83, 84, 85. Anyway, anyway so those, Zimmerman was traded to, uh, to the Vikings. And you don't usually get um, a lot of really good – players coming out of these supplemental drafts. A lot of times it's players with some checkered backgrounds, and that's why they're in the supplemental draft to begin with. Josh Gordon has been one of the most recent, um, really um, talented and effective supplemental draft picks, but there haven't been a whole lot of them. So uh, there's about five guys that have their name in the mix, so why don't we learn a little about them? And for that, we're joined by John Ledyard, our good buddy from the Draft Network. John, you got Schmelk and Dottino here in East Rutherford. How are you, pal? Hey, I'm doing great, guys. Thanks so much for having me. I really hey, John. appreciate it. Well, it's the first time I didn't have the chance to introduce you as from NDT Scouting. So why don't you tell the folks a little bit about what you guys are doing, you and Kyle Krabs, another one of our frequent guests here during draft season, and what your new venture is. Yeah, absolutely. So the Draft Network is going to launch on August 6th, and it's going to be an exciting time because it's really the 
first time, I think, that all draft coverage is kind of going to be really comprehensive. So, like, if you love mock drafting or if you love building your own big board, we're going to have simulations and interactive machines that are going to allow you to be able to do that. You can mock draft. You can pick whatever team you want to be the GM of. If you have a couple buddies and you all want to be GMs together and you each pick a different team and then you go through and you meet up maybe just like you would for a fantasy football draft and you can do seven rounds, you can do three rounds, and we're going to have scouting reports on all these players. It's all going to be available on our site, but you're going to be able to use that kind of like as you would a fantasy football like draft room and something like that. Uh, so it's going to be a really cool simulation. We're excited to release uh, Build Your Own Big Board. You're going to be able to use your own big board and build your own uh, drag and drop and click and add names and kind of move players around. It's just going to be interactive. Plus, we're going to have great content, NFL draft-related content. We'll have a database of over 6,000 players that are all draft eligible. And for the big-name players and for, you know, the top couple hundred or whatever, we're going to have full-length scouting reports from myself, from Trevor Sycamore, from Joe Marino, and from Kyle Crabb. So it's just a really exciting project because everybody loves the draft, but just getting everything comprehensive um, in one spot, um, and, and that's really was our goal. And so we're kind of going through every nook and cranny of draft evaluation to kind of get everything in one centralized location. We think that's going to be the draft network, and so we're all looking forward to August 6th when that site will officially be live. And what's the site address going to be, just so we know? Yeah, the site address will be thedraftnetwork.com, uh, and you can follow the Draft Network on Twitter, at Draft Network LLC is uh, the Twitter account uh, for that endeavor. And uh, we're already previewing some stuff, so if you want some sneak peeks, you can scroll through some of the tweets and see what what some of the things on the site are going to look like. Tremendous. Well, John, let's talk about what you guys are experts in, and that's evaluating draft prospects. I know you've looked at the five guys that are uh, available here in the supplemental draft, and obviously the big name is uh, Sam Beal out of Western Michigan, and a lot of people think he might even be second-round pick worthy here. Um, talk about, if you're an NFL, NFL GM, what type of bid you would place, why, and just what Sam Beal is all about as a football player. Yeah, the attraction with Sam Beal is that he is a press man corner, and the NFL is always kind of really intrigued by those type of players, especially when they have experience in it from college. So he's like very talented and has experience as a press in press man, but at the same time, he's a little bit raw because he was a wide receiver and just been a corner for a couple of years now. So uh, making the switch, and he's he's picked up some things quickly. He's naturally physical and aggressive um, in coverage of the line of scrimmage, and he's pretty fluid all over. So he's a pretty good athlete. He can definitely turn and run with guys. His speed was answered at his pro day, ran in the four fours. And so I think the speed questions, I don't think you're going to see too many of them with Beal. He, he, he has the speed to be able to run with guys down the field, and that's what you want with press man guys. Um, but the question with Beal is going to be his footwork at the line of scrimmage. He, he guesses, he gets real jumpy, he'll often lose battles off the line of scrimmage, and then can be really tough to recover from that point. Uh, he's not a very good tackler, so you're going to have some liabilities in run defense, mm-hmm. some liabilities in the open field. Um, he's got some issues there. Again, converting from wide receiver, I'm guessing that has something to do with some of the struggles that he shows in that department. Could be something that improves. And then he's only 178 pounds. I mean, so you're mm-hmm. talking about a guy who really has to, has to gain weight. Um, I think that there's just you know, is he going to have great ball production? I don't think he has great clicking clothes from off coverage, but he was hardly ever in off coverage either. He's almost always in press man. So if you're a press man heavy team, I think he fits what you're trying to do. If you're not, I have no idea how he'd process and how he'd read and react in a zone heavy scheme. You know, I think that that is typically something more cerebral players that have been playing the position a little bit longer do better. So I'm not sure how he'd fit in a scheme like that. Um, so I think that 
you know, if you're a press man team or a team that wants to play press man like Cleveland, uh, who's been kind of all over Beal during this process, I think he makes uh, a lot of sense for your team, but he probably won't be a big impact year one. You know, John, I'm going to give you a two-parter here. Uh, personnel guy who I talked to said it troubled him that Beal had started out as a college-wide receiver, and yet when it came to intercepting passes, that was not something he did a whole lot of. Yeah, he broke up a bunch of passes when he was at Western Michigan, but why not more interceptions? For a guy who was a wide receiver, he should have been able to, to pluck a bunch of those suckers, and he didn't do it. And that, that was that was a yellow flag that one personnel guy said to me. He's got to be able to, to create more turnovers with, with the ball skills that he should have. And then the other thing that was said to me, and you've already alluded to it, he's going to need a lot of coaching up and a lot of polish on, on yeah. his technique. And when you come into a pro situation this late in the season, I mean, you've already missed all that mini camp, the rookie mini camp, mm-hmm. all that early stuff. You know, you may not be a contributor as a rookie because you're already so far behind the eight ball. So how would you address those right. two concerns? Yeah, I think the big thing we were just talking about there is him is I think that, that you have to be okay with your cornerback situation this year. It has to be something that you believe down the road he can be a contributor for you, you know, maybe 2019. But yeah, that's that's tough because you, you're getting on a four-year contract and then you're asking him to be a contributor for the last three years of that contract. You're getting something out of it. But, you know, you have to think about, okay, what what's worth it? You know, is he going to be ready year two? If he's for sure going to be ready year two and you feel like your position coaches can get him there, then I think that that may be a risk you're willing to take. But it's certainly not an easy plug-and-play evaluation right now. So there is that aspect to it for sure. Um, as far as the interceptions, you know, I think that when you're playing in a press man scheme, sometimes you know you're not facing the quarterback, and that really helps in a lot of zone schemes. Helps create more create more turnovers. So I think there's that aspect of it. But some guys just have that natural ability, right? They make plays yeah. no matter what. Uh, they make plays in the football. They create turnovers. They make splash plays happen. And I think he does compete at the catch point. Kind of, you know, somebody asked me to compare him to somebody in the NFL, and I thought. You know, maybe a low end, you know, an average man's, um, you know, Denzel Ward, because both are kind of a little bit undersized. Not, you know, have some decent length, but a little bit undersized in terms of their weight. Both compete at the catch point, but neither have created a ton of turnovers yet in their careers. Um, Ward is obviously way more polished than Beal is, um, and I liked him a lot more as a prospect because of that. Also, a much much better tackler and run defender. So there's a lot of po- more positives with Ward, but I do think that's something that kind of can develop with Beal. Maybe a natural ability to find the football. But again, I didn't feel like his click and close on balls in front of him was that great. He did turn and find the football a couple times down the field, but he really let the ball go through his hands a couple times too. And so, you know, does he have bad hands? Hopefully they found that out at his pro day workout. Teams kind of see where they're at there. That may be a reason why he switched from wide receiver. Uh, but you're right. If you want guys who can create splash plays and create turnovers, and that wasn't something Beal did in college, and typically that is something that, shows itself at some points in college and then hopefully carries over to the NFL. So you may not be getting that with Beal, even if he does get his hands on a lot of passes. John, as a footnote to this, if he's not going to be ready to play right away and be a contributor as a corner right away, most people say, okay, so you kind of redshirt him and he plays on special teams and you get some production out of him that way, and then he grows into the defense. The problem is, as you say, He's light in the trunk. He's not a big, physical, strong kind of guy with his build and his frame. And as you said, he's not a great tackler. So that means you really aren't going to be able to count on him to give you a lot of production on the coverage units on special teams. 
Right. I think that that's a fair assessment. Yeah. I mean, I think that he, again, he is physical and aggressive. So I like that aspect of it. But he really, you know, he has a hard time in the open field, kind of gauging the right angle. Uh, and then he bounced off a lot of tackles as, as I watched through his tape. It would just seem like, you know, one on one, he had a hard time getting ball carriers on the ground. Uh, so, yeah, it is a concern. And he's a hard time getting off blocks, too, you know, which is a concern to special teams. So, yeah, you're right. You're, you're having a tough time finding a, a great role for him year one which is going to bother some teams when you're talking about something as risky as a supplemental draft. So I don't think you'll see a pick. I know some people have talked about him potentially getting a second-round bid. I would be surprised. I think third is probably the highest you'll see, and I don't even know that a ton of teams would be in on that. I think maybe a mm-hmm. team, if they have a couple thirds, I'm trying to think who might have a couple thirds in next year's draft, that, that they might be willing to pull the trigger. But more than likely, you'll see a third or a fourth maybe, I think, used on Beal. John, last one on Beal for me, so or two quickies, I should say. You, so, you see him primarily as a cover one or cover three guy, right? If, if you're going to use him, that's how you're going to use him right now? Yeah, any type of press man scheme. I mean, most mm-hmm. of the time you know, that you're talking about cover one if you're talking about press man. So most of the time I would say that that's probably the best type of fit for him. But you know, there can be variations of that that work as well. Okay, and then the, the second question is, why is he in the supplemental draft? A lot of times these guys in the supplemental draft have issues off the field, academics, you know, uh, they have off-the-field issues where they might be ineligible the following year, so they come into the supplemental draft late. Why is Beal here a guy that doesn't really have any red flags off the field? Yeah, that's a great question because with Brandon Bryant and with Adonis Alexander, it's clear. You know, Bryant had had his issues with the, with the staff. I don't mean that he like fought with them or anything, but you know, it wasn't a smooth sailing during his time at Mississippi State. Um, I thought he was going to come out this year. I was really surprised he didn't, um, just because I didn't think there was much for him to gain by going back. Uh, he'd already started a couple years, and his playing time had already kind of suffered this past year. So he started. So Bryant started. You know, two years or three years ago, he started and his first two seasons at Mississippi State. And then this past year was kind of in and out of the lineup a little more, didn't play nearly as many snaps. They had a deeper rotation. And so, like, you kind of get why he's, because he's going to get phased out. And, you know, you kind of get it with him, get it with Adonis Alexander because he was academically ineligible. And there was a whole mess of stuff going on there. But we haven't heard anything with Beal. So I'm, you know, I'm, I have not heard anything. I don't know that anyone's even suggested that they've heard anything. Could just be a personal decision for him where he's kind of rethought about things. Maybe it's an issue with the coaching staff, and I'm sure teams have done everything they can to figure out. But, yeah, I'm not really sure why he waited to declare, if, you know, why he didn't just declare for the draft and, you know, why he felt like the supplemental draft was a good choice for him. But it is a little bit unusual to have a high-character guy you know, in the in the supplemental draft without any other concerns. Well, John, I don't know if it's a camouflage or not, but the official word was that his transcript was screwed up, and because of the credit situation and because of uh, him earlier in his career, I believe he had had a redshirt year, he can't play any more college football, period. He has run out of all his college eligibility. So he has no other choice but to go and try to earn oh. some money somewhere. He's got to turn pro. He doesn't have a choice. And he only learned that after the Correct. NFL drafted passed. Correct. I got you. Okay. So, I mean, now, here's oh. the thing. I don't know if that's a cover story. I know that is a legit story. He truly – the NCAA will not allow him to play another game. That I know. His, his eligibility is shot. And I, I think Western Michigan's education department and whoever keeps track of those transcripts – Someone screwed something up. Those, yeah. yeah. Th- th- that's not good. Okay, you mess up a kid's credits. That's not yeah, good. That's bad. <laughs> so, so that I do <laughs> really know. Bad. Now, is there something else in there? I don't know the answer to that. Is there something else about him – uh, I know his head coach has come out and literally campaigned pro teams to tell them, look, don't punish him because our education system screwed him up. 
So for whatever Jeez. that's worth. Yeah, that's that's a mess. I had not heard that. That's a mess, and that's a situation that they're going to have to get rectified. And the fact that coaches are coming out and saying that, knowing that it could still be a bad look for their school, um, you know, that says a lot about you know him, I think, and and the fact that they're willing to vouch for him. So that's certainly a good sign moving forward. All right, let's stick a corner. Let's go to Adonis Alexander next, mostly because the Giants probably might need some depth at corner. Uh, added to this roster. Give us your scouting report on him. Yeah, I think that with Adonis Alexander, what you were hoping for, best case scenario, was a guy with high-end athleticism and a guy that you could develop because, you know, his tape two years ago was promising but still kind of disappointing. And, you know, you kind of thought, okay, if this guy takes a big leap in 2017, then I, I could definitely see getting excited about him as a prospect. He made a couple splash plays in 2016 that were just, they were really enticing. And I think really got a lot of people interested. Hey, who is Adonis Alexander? Could this guy be? I mean, people were talking about him as a potential first-round pick. Then you get to 2017, and things were just a mess. He was clearly the third-best corner after Brandon Fashion and, and Greg Stroman. I thought that he really struggled you know, vertically down the field, gave up a ton of big plays, didn't make many splash plays. He's definitely physical versus the run, good-sized corner, 6'2", 195. I think that he does offer some things that way. But what you really wanted to see from Adonis Alexander was the guy that would go in and really destroy his pro day, and that just didn't happen. He ran a 4'6 flat slower than both the other two guys we're talking about today. Um, obviously very slow for a corner. Uh, his jumps were pretty average for a corner of his size, maybe slightly above average because he is a couple pounds heavier than the average corner. But even that, he's, he's not really like he's a very lanky corner. You could see him even needing to get filled out a little bit more. You know, his agilities were really bad, you know, like linebacker or worst level uh, agility. So you're just, again, it's just kind of where's the upside of Alexander? Typically you have to check at least one of three boxes. You have to at least be impressive in the athletic testing or on tape or in the character evaluations, and he doesn't really check any of those boxes. So I just think the risk is way too great with him, unless the team really feels like he can thrive at safety. But, again, the guy who mentally couldn't really ever get there in Virginia Tech's defense, I just struggle to see him being a quarterback on the back end of a defense. I don't know what the best role for him is in the NFL. You know, Probably a zone-heavy scheme, a cover-three heavy scheme where he's in a lot of zone looks. Um, and, and can play forward and, and be aggressive versus the run in that way. But, I, yeah, it's hard to find a great fit for him, hard to see a lot of upside with him. I think you're probably going to see a fifth-round bid on him. That would be my best guess, best-case scenario for Alexander. That's kind of what I can see happening. Yeah, and then, of course, John, as, as you said, a lot of red flags in terms of his workouts, but then in addition to that, you've got the off-the-field stuff. He had academic issues. He also had an arrest. Uh, I don't know all the particulars about it, so I'm not going to go there other than to say there's a lot of excess baggage here so that even if his uh, measurables and everything he did on the field was good and solid, there will be excess baggage that would force a lot of teams not to even consider him. Right, and it seems like there's still been a lot of buzz around his name based on the media reports. But I just, you know, I really doubt those reports, I guess, is what I'm getting at. I just, mm-hmm. it's hard for me to see a team justifying a poor workout, uh, poor off the field, poor character in terms of, you know, academic eligibility or whatever like that and things like that, you know, no work ethic, a poor understanding of the defense that happened while I was at Virginia Tech, and then really not great tape and not great production either. So where's the upside with Alexander? Where's something to get excited about, you know, potential-wise? And I know they don't have quite as long to get ready for these pro days as they do uh, for the NFL draft, obviously, for the combine and stuff. But you would still hope that the guy about to go into this season would be in you know, pretty good shape and be able to at least you know, show out him. And he was rumored he jumped 40 inches and jumped 
35. And so just kind of everything's been underwhelming about him. I was only going to say, John, he checks all the boxes you don't want to check. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) To be honest. All right, John, let's uh, let's jump to Brandon Bryant. Three-year starter, big program like Mississippi State. Um, Ran a 4-5-5 as a free safety. Those are all pretty good numbers that you like to see. Um, What are some of the things you like about Brandon Bryant? What are some of the things that you think are some red flags? Yeah, odd situation with Bryant. You don't see a lot of guys start early on in their career and then eventually flame out, you know, Mm -hmm. largely due to the understanding of the defense or whatever it might be. It seemed like he didn't really execute things very quickly. Uh, Mental processing and instincts for him seem to be really lacking. He's the real deal as an athlete, though. I mean, a legit 4-4 guy, 5'11", 207, like he's built. He will hit. Uh, He's very physical. He just doesn't make a lot of plays on the ball. He just doesn't make a lot of plays, period. You, know, you talk about a guy that just, he was okay on tape, but just lacked production. I just did not think there was a lot of great production with Bryant. I wonder if he's instinctive enough to really use his athleticism in zone coverage on the back end. You know, you'd see a guy his size, his build, with his range and his ability to run, and you'd think, oh, single high free safety. He just didn't make any plays in that type of role. You know, he just wasn't a, he wasn't a factor. I think his whole career, he only had a handful of pass breakups his whole career. And that can sometimes be misleading, but when you look at the tape, he's just he's never around the ball. He just doesn't make a lot of plays. So, you know, I wonder if he might be at his best in the NFL in like a slot corner role, you know, in a man-heavy coverage scheme where he's just asked to do focus on one thing. And he'll have to probably get there technically. He did see a little bit of reps like that in Mississippi State, but I wonder if that's a role for him in the NFL um, again, hard to see a guy like that that's had his issues. And, he, and he's talked about before. He said before that he thought about walking away from the game of football. That is going to scare teams, wrong as it might be, mm-hmm. that will scare teams more than some of the off-field issues that these other guys have. I you mean, know, that will scare teams because they want to know he's committed. Yeah, John, you know, it's funny. When I, I've done some tape work on him, and I saw a very inconsistent motor. And, I, you know, that mm-hmm. lends itself to all the kinds of characteristics that you just talked about. And if I'm going to waste, I don't want to say waste, if I'm going to, in effect, trade one of next year's draft picks for a guy, he better have the intangibles of, of someone who's going to go out there and compete on every play. That's going to have to be one of the boxes that I check. It's got to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think with Bryant, one thing you are getting is uh, I think he will help you on special teams. Um, he is a pretty good tackler, and he will hit. Uh, you see that aggressiveness with him, but you're right. The motor kind of comes and goes. I think if you can get him to buy in and you're confident that he's bought in and he's going to work hard, you can get special teams reps out of him right away. Uh, like you said, he has playing experience. He's not like a super raw guy or anything. I just don't know if his athletic traits will ever match up with on-field production, which is ultimately what you want. Plus, there's the other concerns. So depending on where he's at with how teams view him in terms of his commitment to the game of football and, and effort and things like that and character – he could go anywhere from probably that fifth to not being drafted at all. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. But if he's not drafted, you're going to know why. If Adonis Alexander isn't drafted, it could be for a myriad of reasons. If Brandon Bryant isn't drafted, it's going to be because nobody believed in who he was off the field, who he was as you know, character-wise, you know, in terms of that kind of stuff. So if that happens, you'll know what the reasons were for Brandon Bryant. John, final question um, for me, and there are two guys that kind of joined the fray late here. Most people think they're not going to go drafted. Bright? Ogwebu, and I think I got that right, a linebacker out of Oregon State, and then um, the running back um, out of uh, Grand Valley State, Martavius Carter. Can you give me little thumbnails on those two guys and whether or not you think they have any chance of being selected in the supplemental draft? 
Yeah, I've seen very little of them. I know the linebacker, and I won't even venture to try and say his name. <laughs> he tested. He tested horrendously. I think he's like 205 pounds or something, and he tested horrendously in his pro day. So, I mean, I, I don't know that there's a lot of upside for drafting a guy like that. You know, you, it's just a full-on project. I'd be floored if anybody looked at him. Okay. Um, for the running back, I think you know, Carter was interesting. I think that he actually has some ability. I just. I don't think he's like a great athlete or anything like that, but decent size, and you know, he did look okay on tape that I saw. So, you know, again, it's just kind of a crowded position in the NFL a lot of times. If you're going to bring a guy in at this point in the process, you want to know there's some upside with him. You know, running back's not a position that you typically prioritize anyway in the draft, and he would definitely be in that fifth to seventh round range. You know, so you know, once you get into that range of draft picks, I wonder how much teams think. Because, I mean, the vast majority of fifth to seventh rounders probably aren't going to make your team so you want guys that are have some upside you know to be an outlier in that way and i just don't know that he has that so i'd be surprised if either of those guys get drafted uh today i think your best bets are beal and alexander and brian could go above alexander it just kind of depends on where teams see him in terms of his commitment to football john i kind of saw carter to me as a really good practice squad player which means you don't use a supplemental draft choice on him right Okay, I think right. he can help you out in practice. I think you know he can mimic and and mock other teams' key players and help you out that way. But you don't want to use a pick on him. I I'm going to ask you this, John, because I said to to John here yesterday, it wouldn't shock me if none of these guys got picked, because I suspect there are a number of teams that will wait till after this draft is over and say, you know what, I'm kind of interested. But not for a draft pick. I'd much rather make that free agent call at the end of the day because this way I'm only putting a couple of dollars on the table and I'm not going to have to forfeit a draft pick. I bet you there are going to be a lot more suitors who feel that way, even about Beal, who I think is probably, in my mind, the only guy who really has a chance to get drafted at all. Yeah, I think that one thing is for sure. You're you're more. It's more likely to lean your way in terms of nobody getting drafted than it is for a couple of these guys to get drafted higher than people are saying. You know, the supplemental draft does not get a lot of people drafted for a good reason. You know, it's just not a process a lot of teams really invest themselves in. There seems like there's been some real investment in this process, so I do buy the noise a little bit. But if, if Beal's the only one drafted, I wouldn't be very surprised, and we'll know why. I think it'll be because. Uh, some character stuff with Alexander and Bryant. But, you know, I, I, I agree, I'm with you. I would not be super surprised if he's the only one drafted. I wouldn't be super surprised if he ends up being lower than a third-round bid either because it's just we, we hype up the supplemental draft because there's not a lot that else to t- much to talk about. And this year we actually have prospects that are better than <laughs> typical years. They are, and yeah. bigger names than typical years. But the reality is still that teams are not really highly invested in these guys. Well, John, I'm going to ask you an impossible question, but I'm going to expect a great answer. So here we go. Uh, broad stroke, <laughs> 2019 draft class. Any positions we're particularly heavy at? What are we looking at next year in terms of um, where we think there's going to be a real focus in the first couple of rounds of this draft? Obviously understanding it's super-duper early. Yeah, it is. It's extremely early, <laughs> but I think interior defensive line looks like one you can probably count on. Um, you know, there's a, a really good group there. Ed Oliver's the real deal. You know, Raekwon Davis, Jeffrey Simmons from Mississippi State, 
Rashard Lawrence from LSU. There's, of course, the Auburn right, duo. The Clemson guys get a lot of love, Dexter Lawrence and Christian Wilkins. I think that luster will fade a little bit with those guys, but I still think they're going to be in the top 100 discussion. Um, Derek Brown and Dontavious Russell and probably even Andrew Williams from Auburn. You know, Terry Beckham from Missouri, Jerry Tillery from Notre Dame. There's just a ton of names for the interior defensive line group. And it could be the comeback of the big receiver. You know, we just we haven't had a lot of no. big receivers. You know, Mike Williams stands out, and a lot of them haven't been good uh, that have been in the last couple drafts. So there are names that are intriguing. There are athleticism concerns about just about all of them, and that's been somewhat of the downfall with the Laquan Treadwell types. A.J. Brown from Ole Miss and Keel Harry from Arizona State. So you've got some guys in that mold. Jawan Jennings from Tennessee. I'm trying to think of a couple others. Uh, the kid from Calvin Harmon from NC State. You've got some big receivers, even Colin Johnson from Texas. A lot of big receivers that are probably going to put up some good college production this season, especially with a lot of their quarterback situations, a lot of their offenses. It's kind of an ideal fit. I think you're going to see these guys get a lot of buzz, but that could fade again as the combine rolls around because the time is going to depend on their athletic testing. So that type of receiver might be back. And then you've got, of course, some running backs. There's some tackles that are worth talking about. No other position group looks really great right now, though, outside of interior defensive line. Who, who, who is like the consensus top guy everyone's watching that people think is going to be the top overall pick at, at this point? Yeah, so Joey Bosa's brother, Nick Bosa, uh-huh. um, you know, at Ohio State is, is really in the discussion. It would be, you know, I would be floored if he isn't a top five pick, you know, I mean, at least. And it will depend. He'll be probably one of the best, other a non-quarterback. He'll probably be the top guy taken. Oh, okay. If he isn't, it'll be because Ed Oliver, Houston for his defensive tackle, Ed Oliver, he could also be in that conversation. I mean, just insane athlete on the interior defensive line for Houston. Uh, moves really, really well. Going to get a lot of Aaron Donald comps. I don't think he's quite as polished as Donald was coming out. But he's got this whole year to prove, you know, how far he's coming stuff. So awesome. uh, I think both those two guys are looking like the top two guys. John, great stuff as always, man. We appreciate it. We're probably not going to talk to you for a few months here. So stay busy. Good luck. Yeah. Again, it's thedraftnetwork.com, folks. Make sure you uh, you go check it out. And what's the launch date for that again, John? Launch date is August 6th. Make sure you go check it out. John, we appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, John. Absolutely. Thanks, John. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate it. John Ledyard, the, the Draft Network. Go to um, Draft Network LLC on Twitter, and you can get it there, and you heard the release date. And now we jump to our next guest as we continue our previewing of Giants opponents. And for that, we're joined by Jordan Rodrigue. She covers the Carolina Panthers for the Charlotte Observer. Jordan, you got John Schmelk and Paul Dottino up here in East Rutherford, New Jersey. Good afternoon. How are you today? Hey, guys, I'm doing great. That sounds like you're about 10 disciples short of a full plate over there, John and Paul. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. Good call. All right, Jordan, let's get going here first because I think the Panthers are very interesting. Um, You're changing offensive coordinators. You brought in some skill position players in the offseason. What's the expectation here for how much change um, we think we're going to see out of this Panthers offense this year with Norv Turner coming in there? Well, what what I think people forget is that the Panthers' offense, since Ron Rivera got there in 2011 and hired uh, Rob Chizinski to run the offense, um, it has been borrowing from Norv Turner for you know the last almost a decade at this point. Mike Shula also borrowed from the Norv Turner offense as well. So while some terminology has changed, and I think some concepts will look different because the skills of some of the players are different. You know, they have. Cam Newton and his ability to run as well as pass, and Christian McCaffrey's ability to pass catching back. A lot of versatile pieces in the offense. 
So I think some concepts will change, but in terms of the overall offense, I think it's going to look very similar to what we've seen from North Turner offenses in the past. Um, I kind of liken it to when North Turner coached the Chargers, obviously with Ron Rivera as that defensive coordinator, and um, in, but instead you add the the threat of a running quarterback, and, and I kind of have been trying to describe what I think we'll see from Carolina as similar to that, but with a quarterback who can run the football as well. Where do, where do you believe Cam Newton's career is going from here? He's had some spectacular seasons. He's also had some very difficult moments. Let's not kid ourselves. At times, you shake your head and you wonder where this guy's coming from. It's time that you know we take the kid gloves off. And we talk about Cam Newton is what Cam Newton is. He's no longer a guy who has potential. He's no longer in the early stages of his career. Let's face it. He's been in this league now for over a handful of years as a starter. We now have to identify him as what he is. So exactly what is he in your mind? Well, I kind of actually have to disagree with you a little bit there. I think that there is potential there, but the potential is for consistency. And I think that's something that North Turner really wants to implement more is having that consistent game over game is you know the best game of his life mentality um and and performance you know we see kind of a wake-up call for this team in last year's wild card game when uh you know they're playing with receivers that read like you know the the last four names on a legal document nobody has heard of them you know (laughs) it's it's just kind of one of these things where you know he he has he's trying to play the best game of his life with no pieces around him other than Christian McCaffrey. So I think one of those, one of the things that North Turner wanted to do was make sure that um, everyone in that offense is on the same page. That's why they brought in all these new receivers, um, drafted DJ Moore, and continue, will continue to use Christian McCaffrey the way that they have. But in terms of, of Cam Newton's performance, we all see what he is capable of. I mean, defenses are constantly having to throw out the playbook and re-prepare for him because of what he can do with his legs. So North Turner, I think, will want to capitalize on the threats that he can be as well as just getting things a little bit more consistent. And I think with consistency will come more success, um, you know, game over game than maybe we've seen in recent years with that consistent factor. You know, Jordan, it's funny with, with, with Cam, and to me he's really unique because I almost feel like watching him, he's more accurate on those 12 to 20-yard passes down the field on slants and in-cuts and outs than he is on some of those touch passes that he's maybe throwing McCaffrey out of the backfield in the 5 to 7-yard range. And I think with North Turner's offense, the way he likes to get the ball down the field, it seems like Newton's arm strength and his ability to throw accurately down the field really fits with the type of stuff that Newton is good at as a passer, no? Yeah, it absolutely does. I think that they also brought in pieces around him that can get down the field. You know, it's a huge mistake to have Kelvin Benjamin and Devin Funches as kind of these twin towers on the outside. Um, And and Devin Funches, you know, he's a speedy guy, but, you know, Kelvin lumbering down the field, you know, there's not a whole lot of options there if you're you're just running straight down the field time after time in that that, uh, Shula's offensive system. So I think that, you know, um, that type of pass will be something we'll see maybe a little bit more of. Um, I also think that they're not going to shy away from these types of checkdowns. It's, it's about trusting the guy you're checking down to to be able to create space with his legs. I think that not having a rookie pass catching back, um, catching those checkdowns, you know, Christian will be a second-year player. DJ Moore can create a ton of space using his body and his legs, um, which is why the Panthers really, really liked him. 
And, and those types of things, I think they want to create more yards with some of those passes as well as opening the field up with those deep balls that we all know Kevin Newton can sling the ball. I mean, what his uncle Rico said, over the mountains. So we, we know he could do that. So I think he wants to hold defenses accountable with, the, with kind of adding depth in the route levels, but also making sure that they're not straying away from the gifts that he does have. And you're right, the, the gift of the deep ball is still there. Yeah, and look, I don't think any of us doubt Christian McCaffrey's ability as a receiver. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if they used him down the field a little bit more this year than they used him last year on some wheel routes and things like that. How much more are we going to see him, you think, though, as a traditional running back this year? Obviously, uh, I think, what, he averaged six or seven carries a game last year, maybe eight. Uh, how much of an uptick in load as a runner are we going to see from McCaffrey this year? Yeah, you know, I know they'd like to get him more carries because he's got to establish a rhythm and he's got to get that confidence when he's finding his gaps and having that patience to see what's opening up in front of him. But I think that um, with, with a guy like C.J. Anderson on the roster, they really want him to be the lead workhorse back in terms of loosening a uh, defensive front up. So we're probably going to see a, something similar to the Stuart McCaffrey combo that we saw last year. I could see Christian getting a few more carries, but... We can't kid ourselves here. His gifts are just so much. There's so much value with him as, as a receiver, um, and, and using him in the intermediate and in, inter, intermediary, and also, like you said, on those wheel routes. There's, there's just no stopping it. So I think mixing it up a lot will be um, really important with him as a receiver. As far as his carries, I think he's he's got a lot to prove. Honestly, he averaged something like three yards a carry um, when yep. he did get carries, you know, last year, and that's just unacceptable for a running back in this league. How much do you think Greg Olson has left as a top-notch passing threat in, in, in this offense? I mean, there was some talk, I, I thought, last year that he had done some TV demos. Oh, no, he, he almost has one foot in the broadcast booth so, at this point. <laughs> so, I mean, is is he going to still be the player that we're used to seeing, or is he not, not all there right now? Oh, he's, he's, he's fully there. You know, his broadcast um, demos, I guess, yeah, his, what you could call it, was kind of for getting reps, um, you know, there's there's always talk about contract extensions and things like that. So um, I'm I'm sure that had a little something to do with it as well. <laughs> um, but I think that Greg Greg is, we we kind of call him Mr. Reliable because you know what you're going to get from him consistently. You're going to get kind of this, this perfect route running and a wide catch window, and Cam Newton can just fit the ball wherever with, with Greg Olson, and Greg will, will catch it. So that's the thing that you're going to get from him, um, which is just another layer that the Panthers need. You know, they need that big, that big tight end out there running routes. And, you know, I wouldn't sleep on a guy like Ian Thomas, who's the rookie fourth-round draft pick, mm-hmm. who is just so far, even in the spring when, you know, you're running against air, that he has just shown some explosive and massive potential. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if that lights the fire under Greg Olson's heels a little bit and we see a couple really solid years for him. We're joined by Jordan Rodriguez, covers the Carolina Panthers for the Charlotte Observer. How about the offensive line, Jordan? I think that gets lost in the mix a little bit. Um, not a ton of room to run last year. You mentioned Christian McCaffrey yards per carry. You know, Cam Newton, if he wasn't 250 pounds, I feel like he wouldn't have survived the year. He got hit an awful lot. I know a lot of that's to do with him running the ball and also holding a little bit. But do you think the team expects some progression here from this offensive line and being a little bit more consistent this year? Well, they expect it, but I'm not sure if they're going to get it, guys, because they lost to Andrew Norwell. <laughs> so um, I think that you're absolutely right. You have to, you know, look, they're they they they're preaching so much this 
wanting to have the longevity of, of the quarterback. They want Cam Newton to be healthy. And we know he's at his best when he feels good. Um, when he's getting the crap kicked out of him um, by opposing defensive linemen and linebackers, that's just not possible. We've seen and that, I by the way, that, up here, too. <laughs> well, that happens to quarterbacks. It, yeah, yeah, I know. You guys, something, something about it has flowers. Hmm, I don't know. But, um, yeah, so I think that it's just one of those things where, um, you know, they, they preach this year over year that they want to protect, protect, protect. But a, a lot of times you see that there's this kind of this early early in the year, especially you see kind of this failure of that to happen. And this year they need to really get out of the gate quickly, especially establishing that despite the fact that they lost their all-pro guard, engineer, well, one of the best in the game, you know, they, they're going to be okay. Behind him there's kind of this rotating contingency plan so far that training camp is going to kind of settle once and for all who can take that spot. But it's between, you know, a guy like Amini Silatolu who's kind of floated around um, and been in and out of injury and a second-year player who nobody was, nobody's even seen him take a snap at guard and he's been playing swing tackle. So it's one of those things where, you know, you, you preach and preach, but, you know, i got to see some action on that front before I believe that they, they think they can be more consistent offensive line. And when I say Cam Newton will run the ball as much as he has in the past, I hate to say it, but I think he might have to. Mm. And and you know what you don't want that uh, that that's not something you want but if you you know if you have to you have to not for a guy who's seven years into the league no that's a bad idea uh, let me flip into yeah, defense I if think. I can let's talk about that front seven because they're terrific obviously uh, manhandle people against the run the linebackers Thompson Keekley Davis what um, we don't even have to tell you they're terrific we all know that. But I wonder about Addison and Peppers, who last year each had double-digit sacks. And Peppers, it seems as though he is as long in the tooth as a mastodon, but he keeps going. <laughs> I don't know how he does it, but he keeps going. <laughs> so please describe for me what you expect to see out of this front seven. Are they able to repeat, you think, what they did last year when they were very stout? Or, or is the clock ticking on some of these guys? Can I use that, by the way? Can I do I have permission to use that sure in, in a lead somewhere? Because that's pretty good. Long in the tooth as a mastodon. Because he's about the size of one too. I mean, I'm sure you've <laughs> seen him. He's a he's a a terrifying figure when he's chasing chasing a quarterback down. But um, yeah, you know, I think it's going to be interesting because Eric Washington, who obviously got the promotion to defensive coordinator, um, kind of has a lot on his plate in terms of this rotation that this, this defensive line likes to use. And communicating that um, into you know new coordinators in the in the system, and I think that um, Eric really appreciates the fact that these guys will play you know forty percent of the snaps, rotating with you know fresh legs every two or three snaps, and they like to rush on the inside, they like to rush on the outside, they like to blitz uh, all these different types of ways. I, I think we're going to see just an aggressive uh, side of Julius Peppers and, and Mario Addison. Mario Addison is one of those rare players who he's actually only just now hitting kind of his prime after a long climb from an undrafted free agent into what he is now. And I think we're also going to see a big year from Wes Horton, uh, the kid from California, who's going to um, come in and rotate with Julius Peppers to make sure he, he can spell him and have fresh legs, and, and he can also rush from the inside as well. Um, but I think a big important question that this defense faces is actually – with the linebackers, which is rare because the linebackers are the most consistent thing year over year sure. um, that, that has been on this team. But Thomas Davis will miss the first four games with suspension mm -hmm. um, after violating the league's performance, 
enhancing substance policy. So Shaq Thompson will be starting at linebacker, and I think they'll be a lot more in their traditional nickel package to start the year. Um, but I also think that they're going to rotate the players in and out a lot because I think they're going to want to play more matchup instead of um, just kind of these linebackers who have been able to stay on the field and, and do whatever has been asked of them. I think they're going to have to rotate players in and out a lot based on whoever is facing them. So Eric Washington has a handful with that front, but I honestly think this defensive line um, is kind of being overlooked and I think will add a lot of stability into what happens behind them with those linebackers in that nickel package. You know, Jordan, I want to follow up on, on another player in that front seven. And, and you know, Heading out of Super Bowl 50, I think everyone looked and they said, wow. Kawan Short, Coney Ealy, two young guys that are on their rookie contracts. They look like, you know, world beaters. And Coney Ealy's gone. He's been on two or three different teams since yeah. now he's with the Cowboys. And I feel like Kawan Short hasn't quite fulfilled the, the potential and the promise that a lot of people saw. Uh, what's your take on him? Do you still think there's room for him to grow and fulfill that potential? Or has he kind of settled into what he is? Well, actually, I, I quite disagree with you, um, respectfully, of course. No, no I problem. That, you see him close up, not KK me. So, is, I think <laughs> I could. I just I don't want to disagree disrespectfully, of course. But, um, <laughs> you know, Feel free Stewart to. Is, we all um, disagree with him. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Um, I think KK Short is is one of the most uh, weirdly versatile and productive defensive lineman in this National Football League, to be honest with you, because mm -hmm. the little things that he does during a game, um, not only do they expect him to rush um, from the interior, but they also expect him to eat space alongside, now it'll be Dontari Poe, but he is kind of the heart and soul of this defensive line. So when you see guys like Julius Peppers get freed up, when you see um, Mario Addison get freed up, it's because a guy like KK has gotten penetration. Um, and it's because he's wrapped one or two players up, and it's because he's, he's kind of done these little things that, that a lot of people don't see that kind of have made him so consistent on this defensive line. You know, you, you see that they, they build pieces around him. I mean, even a legend like Julius Peppers, and, and let's face it, I'm not being biased, we all know he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. They're not building a defensive line around him. Look at this defensive line. They, over the last five years, they've built this around the potential of, of K.K. Short. And so I think that um, that's something that will be really important this year, not only his health, but also how he maintains through um, getting a new guy lining up beside him after they lost Darlo Tulule, but also this rotation that's going to continue happening. And, and so far, you know, last year he balanced that pretty well after, you know, the team lost Charles, Charles Johnson's PED uh, suspension. Yep. You know, he still had to hold everything together. And I think that that was a really impressive sign of, of what he's capable of the fact that that line produced even better in the latter half of the year with so much inconsistency and with everyone banged up the way they were, um, which I thought was pretty telling. Yeah, Jordan, and honestly, this is why we like having people that, that cover the teams on, because you know you, look, you looked at Quan Short's 11-and-a-half sack season three years ago, and then it's been down to seven or six, and from the outside looking, if you're not watching the team every day, you don't see the little things that you do covering well, the team, which is exactly why we like having people like you, you on. You know, in John's defense, in 2015, he goes to the Pro Bowl has not gone in each of the ensuing two right. years. So from the outside looking in, you say, well, maybe he's not fulfilled his potential. Why didn't he go to three straight Pro Bowls? Right, but obviously that's not the case yeah. because he because he's not being put in position to be that three technique well, where all you're asking him to do is get after the quarterback. His responsibilities are a lot different. Same deal with Damon Snacks Harrison here, by the way. He's never, exactly. made, he's never made a Pro Bowl, and he's – 
the best run-stopping defensive lineman in football. And until you see some of these guys in the trenches close up, you're not going to see the mm-hmm. effect they have on the entire defense. Very true. Well, I appreciate the question, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go to the secondary a second because you guys got a former Giant in Ross Cockrell yep. who signed a pretty healthy deal to go to Carolina. And from what I understand, the comments he made when he got to Carolina was, hey, it was too good of a, of a financial package for him to turn down. The Giants were happy with him last year. When they got him in a trade from the Steelers right before the season, a lot of people didn't know what he was going to do, but he played here in a in a different scheme than he had in Pittsburgh, played a lot of press man-to-man, did a very solid job, and, and Carolina opened up the bank vault and gave him a really nice package. I'm curious as to how you see him fitting in down there. Well, I think well, I'm, he's probably one of the players that I'm most interested in, in watching this training camp because – uh, Ron, Ron Rivera said something kind of sobering, um, kind of a message to his entire defense in that the secondary had not had the same players in it year over year since he got here in 2011. Because we all saw what happened when the Panthers let Josh Norman walk and, and had to shop hungry in that draft and picked up three quarters in the second and third round, and fourth rounds and only one of them's left now. And I think that, so adding a guy with the smarts that Ross Carkle had, because, you know, in talking to him, and you guys know this better than I do, but the, the, the guy seems brilliant, honestly, mm-hmm. yep. and, and really has a great mind for the game. Mm-hmm. And just tremendously athletic as well. I, again, obviously, I've only seen his tape and watched him play against air in, in spring workouts, but camp will be really interesting because I know, like I said about the, that front seven, they want to play a lot of matchups. They want to be more aggressive and more physical um, than they have been. And in, in this NFC South, especially, you know, got games, or excuse me, offenses they're going to be facing, you know, twice a year at least, um, there's a ton of mismatches that these teams have kind of been stockpiling. And, you know, they'll have like the big and tall receiver on the outside. They'll have the pass catching tight end and the pass catching back, you know, running amok in the middle. And they'll also have a speedy slot guy and a speedy outside, another speedy outside guy. And I think that um, the Panthers, what they're trying to do is establish one kind of, you know, the quote-unquote shutdown corner, the one that, you know, you always hear about. James Bradbury needs to step up and fill that role. Um, he has not done that yet, so this year will be big for him in his third year. And and I think they're trying to figure out where everyone else fits in. They brought in, you know, Dante Jackson, the lightning-fast kid from LSU yep. all over the field. Um, Rashawn Golden, who's kind of this big physical, maybe a little bit slow. I, I kind of likened him to like a Humvee vehicle. He kind of can just do go on whatever terrain, but he's not <laughs> going to get there super fast. Um, so he's a smart kid, though, so, you know, his versatility will be important. And they have all these pieces, Raj Kako being one of them, Kevon Seymour being another one, Denoris Cersei being another one, Mike Adams obviously holding it down at safety. And I think that that will be really interesting to see the types of matchups that they play in which they play Ross Cockrell, because he seems capable of playing anywhere on the field. And I think they were even working that a little bit at nickel, um, which they're going to rely on heavily early on with Shaq Thompson playing linebacker. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that watching what he can do this camp will be really exciting um, because, you know, what I've seen and and what I've heard of him, he's just really smart. He knows where to put his body in his hands to kind of disrupt routes and disrupt a receiver at the catch point, um, and I think that's going to be something that the Panthers really are wanting to rely on, and, and most importantly, they want consistency. Whoever steps up at that opposite corner position 
needs to do it consistently from day one. And I think Ross Cockrell's in a good position to do that. We're joined by Jordan Rodrigue, Charlotte Observer, covers the Panthers. Jordan, I don't envy the Panthers this year. You're in what I consider the best division in football from top to bottom. you got some very good teams. We'll see about the Pan- with the uh, Buccaneers and Jameis Winston. Obviously, that's a big red flag. But there's not a whole lot of margin for error when you're in the same division as the Falcons and the Saints. You have a couple bad games that can knock you out of the playoffs just like that. If there was one aspect of this Panthers team that you worry about the most that could short-circuit their season and keep them out of the playoffs, what would it be? Well, I, honestly, I think if they can't find their answers in the secondary, um, like I said, there's been so much shuffling around, um, and you're going against these really prolific receivers all across the NFC South. Um, you're also going against these quarterbacks, and, and like you said, Jameis Winston, we're not sure about his st- what his full status will be, but you're going against these franchise quarterbacks who can really sling it you know, twice a year at least in a NFC South that really just cannibalizes itself constantly. I mean, we saw the race was so close down to the town of the wire last year. And so I think that the secondary, they have, they have some promising pieces. They have some really bright talent, bright spots of talent that they've brought in. But if they can't figure a way to piece it all together, have it complement each other, have the communication on point and have guys like James Bradbury really step up and be that lockdown corner that, that he physically seems and mentally seems like he can be able to, to be, um, but just has been inconsistent, then I think they're in trouble, honestly, because there's two the, uh, opposing offenses, especially in the NFC South, they're evolving too rapidly and they're, they're too shifty and they're too good at capitalizing on yeah. these mismatch options that they have um, to, to even let, you know, one big play go by and chunk plays is what really in the secondary, especially is what really killed the Panthers last year, particularly against the Falcons and Sage. And I think that's definitely something that I know they're going to try to hinder this year, but um, I'm just not sure yet until I see them um, put pads on. So that's the one thing I, the main thing I'm concerned about, obviously that left guard spot, uh, puts a thorn in my side as well, but uh, the secondary I think would probably be my biggest concern. Uh, I'd like to reverse the Ross Cockrell thing. We know a lot more about Cockrell than you do. You know a lot more about Shula and Stewart and Scott, former Panthers, than we do, having only seen them for a couple of months. So what can you tell me about the offensive lineman, the offensive coordinator, and the running back that the Giants picked up from Carolina during the offseason? Well, where do you want me to start, my friends? <laughs> how, how about with how about with Scott, the guy who may or may not even make the roster, but certainly because he's an offensive lineman, he's intriguing to some people. Um, yeah, you know, I didn't see a whole lot from him. <laughs> so, um, he was an IR you know, last year. Kind of a, a Swiss, kind of a, a Swiss, but he is a kind of a Swiss Army knife uh, player when he's healthy. Um, he can he can pretty much plug and play, which is why Ron Rivera um, and John Mosco, their run game coordinator, um, they really like guys that can do that, um, be be dependable and stable, um, kind of these plug and play figures. He's obviously got the size. Uh, you know, I'm not sure about the health factor. Um, I you know obviously after he went on IR, I didn't follow up that yep. much that closely, knowing he's going to stay there. But um, when he's healthy, he's really versatile. That and that much I can tell you about him. How about Jonathan Stewart? You, I don't know if you guys will have a better guy in that locker room, better locker room guy than Jonathan Stewart. Um, just one of the most high-quality individuals I have ever met in my entire life, in or outside of 
the NFL in or outside of football. Um, and I think that it's really interesting to see someone like that paired up with Saquon Barkley. Now, I covered Saquon as well when he was in high school and then when he was in college. How about that? And, um, it, and I think that and just knowing the personality that he has um, in in being a rookie and, and kind of wanting to, to do everything for everybody else and to, to really just make a great impression on everybody. He's, you know, he's an earnest kid. And I think Jonathan Stewart, and first of all, off the field, I think will be such a calming presence and a great mentor for a kid like that. Jonathan Stewart has been the franchise running back. He already has done that. Now he's kind of on the last few years of his career. Um, health, health permitting, I think they'll be strong ones. But this is a guy who can show a kid like Saquon Barkley how to not only be a franchise running back for an organization, for a single organization, for almost a decade, if not more, but also how to elevate himself um, as a human being um, and as someone who this, the, or- the Giants organization will come to really depend on. And I think that's incredibly important, something that you really can't understate when you have a guy who is your, you know, your first round draft pick. When you have a guy who you are putting that much hope into as an organization mm-hmm. um, who physically has, you know, transcendent skills, I think being able to match that with the kind of um, headspace that Jonathan Stewart will help him find is going to be really kind of remarkable to watch. Now, on the field, Jonathan Stewart can loosen up some defenses, man. That guy can rumble. So I'm actually kind of excited to watch from afar to see what he can do, um, especially maybe in some of these goal line packages. I think that he's still an exciting guy to watch, you know, if he stays healthy. Um, there's there's parts where you can kind of see him flip a switch and he starts to run really, really angry. And uh, during those parts, you kind of just, like, hold on to your water cup because it's going to start rattling like in Jurassic Park. So nice. I think uh, he'll, oh, he'll, be, uh, he'll be pretty fun to watch for you guys. Those are two dinosaur references in one interview, by the way. Very well done, you two. <laughs> I, I, I like great. the free. awesome. Yes, we're doing uh, great. I like the Scrabble we're playing here today. Uh, and Shula, the final, <laughs> the final comments, if you could, on him. Well, I think that what he's doing, my understanding of what he's doing in New York is is kind of perfect for him because I think he struggled a little bit with um, maybe finding a rhythm in, in Carolina this last year. You know, obviously such a high-powered offense in 2015 that opposing defense is kind of figured out the next year. And obviously the Panthers really struggled as a result of that as well. Um, and then getting new pieces in, like Christian McCaffrey in, in Mike's final year in Carolina and kind of balancing everything out, limited pieces and injuries and, and, and everything. I think it was tough finding a rhythm, and I think that was where um, the, the rhythm and the cadence of the play calling kind of struggled a little bit. Now, I think that play design is fantastic. I think that Mike Shula is one of the most creative play designers that you can find in this, in this league. Um, so it, what it sounds like, from what it sounds like to me, his job will be more about play design and less about actual decision-making and play calling. Yep, I suspect um, as much. So honestly, sorry? I suspect as much. Coach Shermer is certainly yeah, going so to be uh, uh, hands-on. He's going to be yeah. hands-on mm-hmm. here, no doubt about it. Yeah, yeah, which makes sense. And I think that that's actually kind of a perfect marriage um, for a guy like Mike Shula who really wants to just kind of be under the radar, behind the scenes, and he's kind of like one of those – I always compared him to like – um, you know, those those sitcoms where you walk into, like, the kid walks into the library and, like, someone's 
some like nerdy kid's disheveled head pops up over the bookshelf and they're like, oh, I've been here all night. You know, that's kind of Mike Shula, you know. So I think that um, he, he's just a really creative mind. I think that this this position will allow him to be, I think, in a more comfortable spot. And I think in a, in a spot where he can really um, put his own his own touch on things, his own style on things, especially if he doesn't have to be the one calling the plays on game day. Jordan, I have to ask you, I'm sure it was it was killing your quote book when you didn't have Dave Gettleman's uh, creative descriptions of whomever the Panthers drafted in those post-draft press conferences. Boy, when, when he starts dropping that Yiddish, it, it's entertaining, isn't it? Oh, my gosh, I miss that guy. You know, Marty Herney over here is just a, a tremendous person, and I think he's been really great to work with. Um, you know, sometimes Dave will walk in and play all the hits and kind of walk out, you know, that, that side to side, like a uh, little limp walk yeah, that he does. We, and you seen just it. stare at him and you're like, what goes on in that guy's brain? I mean, he's just delightful. <laughs> it's always around, on. Honestly. I'll tell you and, that. You know, I, I, on a serious <laughs> note, I do wish him all the best of health. No and I reached out to him and I just wanted to, um, check in on how he's doing and, and just wish him all the best of health. And, you know, he, he's a, Part of my language, but he's a he's a tough old son of a bitch. So I think he can I think he can beat this, and I think he'll I think he's tougher than this for sure. Well, Jordan, the good news is that he was actually around the facility yesterday. He was in great spirits, so we we think he's on the men, and we hope everything is going well. And by the way, he was very cagey about it. Maybe you can give us a better answer. Why exactly did they let him go? What was the final reason for the for why they made the move the way they did with him? Given this, given the success he had building that Super Bowl team. Well, you know, we, we kind of did a deep dive on this um, last year about how uh, just kind of some of the butting heads with some of the, the veteran players that the former owner had, had kind of made, wanted to make sure were, were tenured and, and players and kind of the, the style of negotiation. I mean, we, we all know Dave Gettleman is not going to sugarcoat something. <laughs> no. Um, no, and no, I no, no, no. The bedside, Yeah. I think the bedside manner in terms of some of the um, releases of players and the contract negotiations uh, was kind of getting back to uh, the guy upstairs. Mm. Although it's funny, you know, it's actually not funny. Um, this is very serious. I don't know why I said that. But it's, um, it's interesting to think, you know, uh, when we asked Dave the same question at the, at the Combine this past year, he said, ask Mr. Richardson. Well, we can't do that anymore either because he's gone too. So I think uh, it's true. all very interesting how, how the world works sometimes. And, Jordan, I, I guess we should ask you, and again, thank you for all the time, and this will be the final question, I promise. Has that ownership changed? How has that really affected the team and the organization, or have they really been able to kind of maintain their focus with all that going on in the background? Yeah, you know, what's been really cool is how Ron Rivera has been this entire time they extended him right before all of this chaos hit. Uh, they extended him through 2020 because they knew a guy like Ron having the, the kind of the stability factor in that locker room and being, as we all know, around the league, he's one of the best locker room guys that there that there is. I mean, he's a co- he's a players coach, so having him around to kind of provide that stability, he was a guiding presence for these guys if they had, if they had questions. Um, you know, so they weren't just getting all their information from when we were writing it. Um, so they could go to him with questions. And I think that was really helpful. Um, and I think it, it really hasn't done much to affect a ton of the team. I think some of the veterans might feel, um, you know, a little bit torn, obviously having been there, getting brought there by Jerry Richardson in the first place, but then also, you know, 
I'd be lying if I were saying that there wasn't a, a substantial difference in, um, you know, kind of the, the ability of these players to now talk to this owner, talk to David Tepper mm-hmm. about things, feel like they have a voice, feel like they have, uh, feel like their voice matters in, in the job that they do. So I think that that's, um, I think that's going to be important. I think they're, they're all feeling it out. Everyone's in that period. Um, David Tepper is wanting to meet with them as much as possible, but obviously they're all on vacation now. So, um, yep. you know, it'll be really interesting to see some of those changes start to shift this fall. Jordan, great stuff. We appreciate the extended time today. Enjoy the rest of your couple weeks off before the marathon begins once again. We'll see you in week five. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks, guys. See you in October. Thanks, Thank Jordan. You. Jordan Rodriguez does a great job and great information there covering the Panthers for the Charlotte Observer. Very colorful as well. That was a fun interview. Yeah, she was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Good stuff. Tomorrow, it's the Tino and Feagles. And what team you got tomorrow? The Atlanta Falcons. Oh, Next up. Another excellent NFC South team. Boy, the Giants' schedule is not easy this year, folks. No, it's, it's not. It's going to be quite the challenge. So enjoy your afternoon. We'll see you tomorrow on Giants.com. Everybody have a great day.